Hi, this is Cesc Fabregas, and this is the League On podcast. Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. Balotelli on the turn, quality. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tovac. Kylian Mbappe wraps it up. Hello and welcome to Le Beau Jeu podcast, our podcast dedicated to Liga. And coming up in uh, this week's pod, episode 5, we head to Strasbourg for European Summit Talks as Racing don't wait for May to book their place in next season's Europa League. We'll discuss the joy of Cesc with Monaco's midfield maestro. And PSG legend Yuri Djokaev also pops into the pod as the Capital Club home in on the league title. Joining me this week is Essex's finest Ligue 1 expert, David Crossan. How are you, David? Very good, Matt. How are you? Very good. You are also Essex's only Ligue 1 expert, as far as I'm aware, but uh, there may be others. Pod debutant joining me today, Armel Tangi, who is a Wimbledon fan with roots in Brittany, which explains his penchant for long ball football and for creps. How are you, Armel? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you know what the French is for Womble? Uh, no. Well, is need there to... such a thing? <laughs> it would be Womble. Le, Le Womble. <laughs> and our Australian stalwart, Robbie Thompson, who has very kindly invited us into his home for this pod. It's a very swanky, uh, arty appartement overlooking, right. uh, overlooking the River Seine. Yeah, I hope, we don't, I hope uh, none of the barges going past use their fog horns because then uh, it, get, it can get quite intrusive. Uh, just uh, welcome, Armel. You know, in the great French tradition, you, we have to do a bisoutage, okay. which means you have to sing <laughs> yeah. a song now. Stand up on your chair and sing, uh, sing for us all and all the people listening. Do I have to hold a plastic bottle as yeah, well? As a microphone, yeah, as a microphone. We've Robbie, got real microphones, actually, so let's just go Yes, with Robbie, we actually <laughs> talked about this before and we decided it wouldn't be good for the ratings to have Armel singing at the, at the beginning of the pod. So instead... Fair enough, fair enough. Before we bring in our special guests, and we do have two... Very special guest, two World Cup winners, Cesc Fabregas and Yuri Djorka, if we'll hear from them later. But we're going to start by talking about the Coupe de la Ligue final. We uh, had a big preview of the final uh, last week. Gangon against Strasbourg, two clubs that are rather unheralded compared to recent winners, or recent winner at least, Paris Saint-Germain, who've been dominating this for, for so long. And the country was excited, Robbie, to see a couple of different teams in the cup final. The atmosphere was amazing. You commentated the game. The game itself... I survived. <laughs> I survived. It was a long evening on Saturday night, but um, a good one. I think a lot of people are saying the game didn't really live up to, to expectations. The pitch wasn't great. There was a new football. The players weren't used to it. There were lots of elements that, uh, at the end of the day, people don't think this final will live long in the memory. But for me... A scoreless draw that went to penalties, but between two sides, let's face it, Paris Saint-Germain didn't win a trophy. And that is great. And for in this day and age, when you know in French football that Paris Saint-Germain start every competition as red-hot favourites, what chance does a Strasbourg player, someone like Dimitri Lyonard, who's been at the club since 2013, Jeremy Grimm, these guys that come up, Lebo Motiba, who we spoke to, this is their chance to win silverware. They don't want to lose... Gangon are in the same situation. They've had a terrible season. They've got a chance to qualify for Europe. My goodness, they could be in the second division like they've already done there once weren't, before. There weren't too many Europe. chances, Robbie, were there? Do you think, there do you think the tension, that's because they, do you think neither the side of the, was prepared the to lose? Yeah, the tension of the occasion and, and the fact so much was 
at stake for, for these two football clubs in the end took over. Absolutely. Well, for me, the fact we've been a bit spoiled in recent years with Paris Saint-Germain who are able to go into a final and not worry about this is our one chance to win it. They go and score four goals against Monaco who are sitting second in the league or four goals against Lyon. I mean, they, they do this regularly. So we've been spoiled and we think, well, every final should be this incredible attacking festival. Back in the old days, I was at finals when Paris beat Chateauroux 1-0, a header from Pedro Pauleta back in 2004, yep. or 6, 5, yep. 4, 1. I can't, can't even it's remember. Historic, but, this, but that's what finals were. Everyone used to say finals are terrible football matches. It's not for the quality of the football, it's winning a trophy. It's Absolutely. having your fans like there. Your the fans favourite phrase in finale, ça ne joue pas, ça se gagne. You we don't play finals, you, you win finals. Oh, it's it's true, and we've forgotten that. I was obviously thinking about 1988 when Wimbledon uh, got a smash oh, and grab against, started. against against <laughs> Liverpool. I'm not quite sure that you were old enough to be watching that, nope. Armel. But uh, you've been spending a bit of time in, in Gangon. I know you went to see Piri, the uh, South African midfielder, who's been taking good penalties, but he didn't take a penalty in the shootout. Strasbourg, sorry, what, Gangon, having probably had the better of the 120 minutes, took some pretty awful penalties. It's going to be a, a tough blow for them to, to recover. Yeah, I was surprised not to see Piri taking a penalty when I went to see him last week. He told me that that was a, a symbol of his newfound confidence, the fact that he stepped up to take the, the first penalty in the shootout win against Monaco in the semi-final. And yes, as you say, their penalties were... Not the best against Strasbourg. Alexander Mendy uh, blazing over from the first one. And then Binguru Kamara, who was stepping in for Matt Sells in the Strasbourg goal, saving one from... Uh, it was the one that was saved? Rodelin. 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 Yeah. He didn't look confident. They only scored the one, didn't they, out of No, out but of isn't four. that... It's all part of the drama of it as well, because going to penalty shootouts, everyone thought, well, this is Gangon's now. Gangon have won three of their four yeah. matches to get here on penalty shootouts. And the only, game, and the only game they didn't win on penalties... They had three they penalties. Did, they won and one on penalties. <laughs> and got three penalties in the, actual, in the actual game. Dave, do you think the Strasbourg fans played a role, not only during the game, but during the shootout? Because Gangon were kicking in front of a huge cop of, uh, of Strasbourg fans. I don't think it helped the Gangon players, and Strasbourg's fans really don't care how this match was won. The main thing is that it was won and uh, they got the celebrations not only in Lille but also back at Place Kleber in Strasbourg on the Sunday, the day after the final, that uh, Camera actually revealed to the press that he'd only had about half an hour's sleep. Um, I think some people got more than that during the game on Saturday night. <laughs> um, I, I admit I didn't actually see the game in full. I was let out of the Ligue 1 household that we all share in order to do something else on Saturday evening, but I did watch highlights of it. And um, no, it wasn't a, a waste of time. It was a good not to see PSG in the final. We needed a bit of variety and I'm delighted for Strasbourg. They have terrific fans and they've now won the competition for the third time. I hope they get through the qualifiers and get into the Europa League group stage. And now. Gangon fans also have to know that you can't win every final you play in as well, having won well, yeah. in you, 2009. You can only win for playing against Wren. Exactly. That's yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Well, this isn't Ren now. So and Strasbourg, Strasbourg, but amazingly, that's their third win in the uh, in the mm -hmm. Coupe de la Ligue for for a club of uh, of their size. Yes, they're historically they're a big club, but when you consider what they've been through uh, in the last decade or so, we talked about it last week. They were in the fifth tier, or just eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. Mark Keller, Incredible. the sporting director, has has really turned things around. Now they have they have Europe to look forward to, and. Uh, Mind no. you, they still have a little bit of a battle to get into Europe. They're qualified for the second round. Yep. They have to win that. They have to win the third round. And then they have to win a playoff against the national 
champions or the national yeah, the reward the reward right. for winning is that the, the players reward don't get any holiday there's no summer holiday exactly <laughs> that they get back in training in probably mid-june and they're in action uh, mid-late july well late july they'll be they'll be playing in europe I'm going to go back. Sorry, I just want to go back to Armel because he's a bit of a, a, a Gangon expert because I, I think he sees something Wimbledon-esque in them. Uh, you know, the True. <laughs> the underdog, big, strong striker. I wouldn't say Efa Nakoku, but Marcus Churam, he's, he's probably a bit more technical. Carl Lieburn then, yeah. Carl Lieburn. He's, um, <laughs> but he's good, isn't he? I, I've been reading that Arsenal and Chelsea, uh, I think other clubs are, are looking at him. He's Lilian Churam's son. He's going from strength to strength. He played on the on the left wing um, in in the final. Worked very hard. I mean, he's got a big role now to try to keep this club up. Perhaps before moving on in the summer. Well, I think first and foremost, when you start your professional career with a name like Turam on the back of your shoulders, you've already got something to live up to. Marcus Turam's been in Ligue 1 a couple of seasons now, and he's getting better and better. And as you mentioned, he is often played out on that left flank, and when you see him line up six foot two you could think just play him in that number nine role he's clearly capable of it but he is someone who can dribble a lot better than most people might think or remember he's got some of the best dribbling stats in Europe in fact and, and his dribbling on Saturday night was really good it's been a little while he's he's been a little bit out of form he's been trying to force it to to get it back it came back to him he, he was really excellent in the final and when I when I saw him train last week when I went to see uh Piri he he's got the the calm and the, he takes his time on the ball that certain players who might have his talent don't. I don't know whether that's you know being lectured by his father who's played at the top level the whole time, but he's certainly got something that the rest of his teammates at Gangon don't, and I think he's more than capable to make that step up. I think Armel's touched on an important point in the career plan so far of Marcus Turam, which is the influence of his dad. Marcus Turam could have gone anywhere, signed anywhere as a teenager. He went to Sosho who were struggling, I think, in the, in the top flight. They went down. He stayed there. He's played second division football. Now, this for a, for a young starlet playing second division football. Then he signs, not for Paris Saint-Germain, not for Monaco, where he could have, where his younger brother plays, where, where Turam has a big influence. Could have gone anywhere. No, went to Gangon, playing in a, in a modest club. Plays a first season. Catches the eye a little bit. Only scores, what, three or four goals last year. This season, well, less, two goals maybe, this year, now is his year, and now he can make that step. He's taken his time, and there's there's thought process behind there. I can see him going elsewhere before the Premier League, to be honest. Athletically, he's definitely suited to the Premier League, but I could see him going to Germany, perhaps, where the, the football's definitely suited to a player of his style. And I think a, a couple of years there before England might do him well. And he Berbatov? probably... Berbatov-esque? Berbatov-esque? No? Ooh. No? No. I'll just add, he is... <laughs> He is born in Italy, so he might have a little stint in Serie A. True. Mm, as well. Born in Parma when, uh, when Lillian was, was, was playing for Parma in a brilliant Parma team. He's, he's more of a runner, isn't he, Robbie? Than, you know, he, he's got more power and speed than, uh, yes, than but he's also But he's also got some, some classy touches. And he's prepared to, to... He can beat a player from a standing start, which is what he did for when he took on uh, Lamine Kone in the box in the first half of the final. He turned him inside out about four times before shooting from an impossible angle on target. It was maybe at a stretch, Berbatov-esque. Let's yeah, let's let's hear from somebody who knows much more than uh, than Robbie Thompson about <laughs> about Marcus Turam and about and about young players in Ligue 1. Cesc Fabregas surprised a lot of people by joining Monaco in uh, in January. 
Um, he's only played um, for for big European clubs fighting for trophies, Arsenal, Barcelona and Chelsea. In all, all three of those stints, he was you know, battling for trophies. He joined Monaco, who were in a, a relegation dogfight, but he's finding it a very interesting experience. And in particular, he's been pr- impressed by the, uh, by the youngsters that he's come up against in Liga. There is a lot of individual quality, I would say. I think uh, there are a lot of uh, young players uh, who they love to, to have an impact in the game. Um, I think the, the La Liga, Italy and, and, and the Premier League tactically, you know, that they, they, they worked for years before a little bit more and I think they are maybe at a higher level, but uh, here they are very strong, they are very fast, no one is afraid, they, 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 they are all young players who they, they want to dribble you, they want to face you, they want to go against you, they want to attack. And uh, yeah, that's been positive uh, to see, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, the games, I'm enjoying the league, and uh, I think it has so, so much potential because uh, so many talents come, come out from, from this league, and I, I believe you know, that uh, the young players are, are very good. Well, Cesc Fabregas has, uh, has been impressed with all, with all these young players. I'm sitting at a table here with uh, some experienced league and commentators, guys who've spent all of their weekends or most of their weekends for the last few years sitting there watching young talent. So I'm going to put it to the table. I want you to, to come up with an exciting young talent that perhaps our listeners haven't heard of or aren't that familiar with that in the next two or three years we're going to start to, to hear more and more about. And I'll start with David Crossan. I'm not going to go with a Frenchman. And people might already have heard of him as well. I'm going to go with Raphael Leal of Lille, who's 19. And in an example of lazy journalism, Matt, and none of us are guilty of that, he was labelled as the Portuguese Mbappe when he joined Lille, possibly because he was signed by Luis Campos, who used to be the, the head of recruitment at Monaco. And he's nothing like Mbappe, really. But the goal that he scored against Nantes was similar to Mbappe's. The, the rapid control and getting the shot away, lovely finish. Eight goals in just 1,150 minutes of league and play this season. He's powerful and he's going to be really special. Rafael Leal, the Portuguese non-Mbappe. Robbie, who do you go for? I'm going to go with perhaps a player that uh, even this table might not be too familiar with because we've only seen him a couple of times in league and this season. Boule Dia. From Reims. I'm pretty familiar with him. And he's not, he's not a, a player that perhaps will, will play one day for Real Madrid or have the quality to. He's a 22-year-old who's in his first ever season in the top flight. He was signed from Jura Sud or, or a club like this in the fifth division to play in the reserves this year to help them try and stay up in the fifth division. And he's gotten his chance and he scored a couple of goals and he's a, he's a powerful striker. But it just shows the type of talent that you can find in France. This kid was signed to play with the reserves. He's been given his chance. He's finding the back of the net and he's fast, he's quick, he's powerful and he's a player at 22 years of age that probably thought he'd never get this opportunity. Here he is, he's making the most of it and I think he looks quite good. He's he's hungry and he's forced forced Shea Ojo out of of the reckoning, the player who was uh, on loan from from Liverpool. Hasn't had much of a look in, unfortunately, at, at, at Reims now. Armel Tangi, we're all waiting for your for your shout with a lot of excitement. So despite my disappointment at Gagon being beaten at the weekend, I'm going to go with a Strasbourg player. 21-year-old midfielder Ibrahima Sissoko. 
Every time I've seen him play, I've been really impressed. Ability to get from box to box very quickly, calm on the ball, and some finish. Our mate Cesc Fabregas might uh, second that from oh, the yes. goal he scored uh, when Strasbourg won 5-1 in Monaco at the end of Thierry Henry's days. Uh, he's another one playing his first season of top flight football mm. this campaign. From Brest, yeah? Sorry? Several seasons at Brest, I think, yep, where he came from. absolutely. Through, Spent yeah. a bit of time at Brest before. And he's already got three league goals this year. Uh, now a Coupe de la Ligue winner too. At just 21 years old, he's got a couple of French under-21 caps to his name. And in terms of gameplay, powerful, uh, good on the ball, as I mentioned. And he's showed ability to finish too for That's a midfielder a that plays deep. Rate him. It's a good shout, but none of your shouts are as good as mine. I'm going to go with uh, a very, very young boy. Give us a chat. couple of hints. He's playing, he's playing quite regularly in the Saint-Étienne defence. Saliba. Saliba. <laughs> and you guys all know him because you watch Ligue 1 closely. William Saliba, who is... 17. Uh, 17, I believe. He was last time I checked, so unless he's turned 18 uh, in, in the meantime. But he, he plays with real maturity. Particularly good, I feel, when they play with a three-man defence when they've got Loic Peran and, and Nevin Subotic and he's got a little bit more pace and uh, explosivity <laughs> as the uh, as the French like to say. What, what's interesting about this fella is that he comes from Bondi which is this suburb that is everyone knows Bondi now. It's, man. A, <laughs> it's a suburb of Paris where Kylian Mbappe came from. It's a, it's a, it's a suburb that has had a troubled past like a lot of suburbs around Paris. There's been some high unemployment, some high crime rates. I've, I've spent a little bit of time there. I've seen the facilities that they have, particularly in, in, in the local club. Football in Bondi plays a huge, huge role. A lot of the young kids play football and it's producing so many footballers. William Saliba is, is the latest. And by the way, Bondi is not the place that a lot of people describe it. And even in, in the media, it has a lot going for it. It's got around about 50,000 inhabitants. It's actually a huge, mm. sprawling uh, suburb. Of, uh, of Paris. And I just want to bring in Yuri Djokia because we haven't heard from Yuri yet. Now, this is a man who has been part of arguably France's greatest ever generation, the 98-2000 side that won the World Cup and, and the Euros. He was uh, a top player, of course, for so long with Paris Saint-Germain, with, with Monaco, played for Strasbourg as well, which is why he was at the Coupe de la Ligue final on, on Saturday. He talked to us about the young talent in France and uh, why he believes... This country continues to produce so many superb players. You sign in your own 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 town, you know, with some very very good club. You know, the league, let's say league, because there's different league in France, are very well structured, where 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 the the, the, competi the competition is very at a high level, you know, and every small club today, let's say, have already a program like a not like a professional, but kind of professional you know even if they are all benevolent coaches but they are dedicated to come to learn to train the kids and uh, and i think is when the kids arrive at 14 5 uh, uh, 14 16 around they're already uh, ready to uh, to go to the professional club i think it's the difference between england because i was in england I live in England, I live in Italy, and I think uh, what, what the, the big difference is this all small club, very well structured, who's uh, starting to, uh, to feed 
the the professional club. Well, Matt, if you cast your mind back to when we first started a, a Ligue 1 website when I was living in the French countryside on the on the west coast, probably back in 2004 or 5. Yeah, it was good, good times before good times we had kids back, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was uh, playing for a local team, a local little village of 2,000 people and coaching, well, assistant coaching, their young kids that were coming through the ranks. And just to give you an idea... The, the player who was playing in the, in the team with me would take an afternoon off work, would prepare entire sessions. And when I got there, it was like training with a professional team. And these were, I thought I was going along to sort of do, you know, after school care with kids on a Wednesday afternoon. They were being put through serious, well thought out training sessions at five, six, seven, eight years of age. Stuff that I never had when I was growing up, well, albeit in Australia where football, soccer wasn't necessarily treated with the same serious approach as other sports but never did anything like this and and it was incredible well one thing that that, that strikes me is the uh, the facilities in, in in France I've never played as a as a youngster in France I recently moved out uh, into the Paris suburbs and I've got two absolutely stunning football pitches artificial uh, pitches that can be played all year round with with floodlights and the kids are on it every day Every day, the weekend, it's one match after another. When you go into into Provence, because I'm lucky enough to spend some time in Provence as well, the smallest villages mm. that have virtually nothing. They have a, they have a boulangerie, a poste, and, and they have and a, a, a state of the art football pitch with good training training rooms, good changing wanna, rooms, good everything. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's amazing, and I think they have the coaches as well. I want to ask Armel because I know that you've you've played youth football in in England growing up to a to a to a good level. So I don't know. I, you know, I hear about the complaints, people saying in England that, you know, in winter we just, we just don't have the pitches. It's all like they're, they're just mud heaps. Do, do you feel that France have, have an advantage here? I'd say there's definitely two things that differ from playing football as a youngster in the UK. Uh, the first being, as you mentioned, the pitch difference that over winter French youngsters can practice their technical ability rather than just trying to judge the next bobble to, to get to the next ball, which is fun in itself but a totally different game and I think once you're playing on the nice pitches that professional players do play on you're probably best suited to have grown up playing on AstroTurf pitches but I think the the second thing to be mentioned with that is often even if the facilities are there in in certain UK towns and the stadium is there with nice pitches the main difference is that I noticed when I used to come on holiday to France and these uh, village stadiums were always there with good pitches on them you don't seem to need to ask 10 different people to go and play on it and find a key for it it seems to be open to the community open to the youngsters who want to use it and that's how you get those stories of the guys that stay there until sundown with their brother and you mm. know just play their whole their whole time and end up playing professionally well it's interesting and i i think it is still a big issue back back in the uk england are producing some very good young players now so they're obviously doing doing something right but you i do sense there is there is frustration that doesn't exist here in france that the kids the kids in France, if they want to play football, they can play football. Of course, the best example at the moment is the boy wonder, Kylian Mbappe, who, uh, like William Saliba, grew up in, in Bondi in a suburb just northeast of of, of Paris. And, um, well, he was at it again at, at the weekend. He scored the winning goal. Paris Saint-Germain beat Toulouse by one goal to nil away from home. They they remain 20 points clear of Lille. They're cruising. They could even be crown champions uh, next week. Um, Dave Mbappe... Is uh, is just continuing week in week out. Really, he's got twenty seven goals in in twenty four games now. Yeah, he didn't really have uh, many chances uh, against Toulouse, who defended pretty well against a depleted 
Paris Saint-Germain at the stadium. But the, the stats are remarkable, particularly since he's been playing at centre-forward and Neymar and Cavani haven't been around. Seven straight games he's scored in in the league now. Ronnie Lopez did it eight games running last year for Monaco. And Mbappe could just go on and on with this, become the first player to <laughs> score 30 in a league season since Jean-Pierre Papin. Frenchman. In Frenchman. Zlatan got 38 a few seasons ago. Um, 38 is possible for him as well. Cavani as well season. got more than 30, hasn't he, in a season? Cavani I think 28 is top. Oh, sorry, maybe Perhaps. Not. I don't know. I'd have to check my facts on that one. Joseph Scoblar. <laughs> Scoblar, I want to mention Scoblar later. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Mbappe's goal was magnificent. He was given half a yard of space by Yannick Kozak from Kera's cross from the right. Instant control and then the speed of execution as well as his fleetness of foot is what sets him apart from the rest. The way he just guided the ball into the side netting of Baptiste Reine's goal was remarkable. And uh, I think Eric Choupo-Moting could do with watching him a bit more. If I can add to that as well, that you don't often see Paris Saint-Germain struggling in league games. They've won a few by one goal to nil this season. And I think if you look at those often, Kylian Mbappe has been the guy yeah, to score that one. one goal. And at his age, leading the team like that, very impressive. Well, let's hear from uh, from Cesc Fabregas again, because uh, as I mentioned, he's been uh, getting a feel for, for Ligue 1. He's been um, very much part of, uh, of Monaco's revival. And of course, he has been watching Kylian Mbappe like, like we all do on a weekly basis um, over here. And he's been uh, extremely impressed with uh, the young Parisian. Every time I watch Mbappé, I imagine myself behind him in every situation. And I, because I, I, I can see he's always on the move. He's always with his uh, body on the right uh, angle to make the, the run to get away from the defender. And I just, I just try to analyze it and see it from the TV. Like when the midfielder has the ball, he's always looking to go on the space. And I just, I just imagine, I speak with friends sometimes, I said, oh my God, if if I if I had played with this guy, I think I would have enjoyed a lot. So yeah, he's he's got plenty of talent, um, and it's just the beginning. I mean, he's still so young. I mean, he's so got so much uh, to learn, so much to do in the game. And if he continues for what I know and for what people tells me here that he's a humble boy, you know, that he wants to to learn. He listens. He likes to to improve. He takes it very, very seriously, discipline. If he keeps going like that, the sky's the limit for him. Well, Cesc Fabregas uh, convinced that Kylian Mbappe can become uh, one of, if not the best player in the world in the coming years. We've talked a lot about Real Madrid and Zidane perhaps wanting to sign him. We're not going to get involved uh, at the moment with, uh, with those discussions. We're going to continue enjoying Kylian Mbappe and perhaps see him crowned uh, a league champion for a third year in a row because two years ago he won the league with Monaco. Last year, in his first season at the Parc des Princes, he was uh, crowned French champion. And again, incredibly, PSG could do it early in April. It all depends on whether Lille slip up. Lille are playing away to Reims, which is a difficult game. Reims are a very, very... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, they're away from home and Reims um, with Boulaidia. Robbie's uh, one to watch um, up against Raphael Liao. It's going to be a real battle of, of the youngsters. But if Reims get a point against Lille, then PSG can be champions... With eight games uh, left, seven left for Lille, eight for, for PSG. Can equal the, the record of, of set three years ago of winning the league after 30 matches. Is it a good season, Robbie? I've got, I mean, if, if you're French champions, it's a good season. But they've gone out of the Coupe de la Ligue and they've gone out 
in uh, fairly lousy fashion as well of the uh, of the Champions League, or very disappointing fashion against Man United. Look, the the every season seems to look uh, familiar for for Paris Saint Germain at the moment. Two years ago, when they lost the league, I think that was the most disappointing season because Unai Emery's first and Paris should never have given that league title away. They they made such a poor start that Monaco were just able to to ride that wave. Monaco were incredible to to win the league. Uh, to be fair, but. This season, certainly, look, the way they got knocked out of the, of the Coupe de la Ligue was, was very disappointing. The, the performance, the Champions League is always disappointing these days. But they can set a number of records in Ligue 1. Is that saying more about PSG or more about the opposition? Yeah, at least Gangon had their first team out in the Coupe de la Ligue. Man United had their reserves out and still, still dumped PSG out. <laughs> Well, yes, but, you know, things can happen in a match. Well, you know... Although Man United's reserves are still sort of £50 million players, which, yeah. Well, and and the coach, uh, Thomas Tuchel, said, look, the whole season cannot change on a VAR penalty in the 91st minute the way everyone considers Paris Saint-Germain's season can, is on such a fine line, on such a fine detail. Football, it is football, so why can't people understand it? Why does everyone have to go on the attack and say this is just a disaster... You know, Paris Saint-Germain's season is, is because, the last three, two months of it. Because, Robbie, count. That's football. Because I'll tell you why. It's not a one-off. It happened two years ago in the new Camp. PSG last year didn't really perform over two legs against Real Madrid. And it's happened again. Real Madrid who against, went on to win the trophy for the third year in a row. And it's happened again, Robbie. Okay. It's happened again. Oh, it's, yeah, but, I know. They should be winning the Champions League every year, Paris. It's easy. No, they should be getting into the semi-finals. Robbie, they though. should be getting, I think, into at the semi-finals at least eight years into the Qatari project. I want to I wanna bring in... A man who knows Paris Saint-Germain very well and who won a European trophy with Paris Saint-Germain. It's Monsieur Yuri Djorkaev. And he's a bit harsher on Paris Saint-Germain, Robbie. He feels that changes are needed if they're going to make that next step. Paris Saint-Germain, after many years and success, have to, I think, rebuild everything. Restart from scratch and rebuild the thing. Because the, the, the foundation are not good. You cannot expect in one day to win the Champions League with this kind of foundation. You need to rebuild everything. And I think it's a, it's a, it will be maybe you will lose one year, maybe two years, but you will be sure in two years you will be one of the best club in the world. Not because you have Neymar or Mbappé, because your club will be the best in the world. We need really to learn and and. We, we did, because I'm, I'm Paris Saint-Germain fan, we did so many mistakes the last three years. I think at one point it's time to stop it. Well, it's a question of, uh, of, of, of starting again. I mean, I feel that Yuri Djokovic well, is ridiculous. making... It's no, ridiculous I, to say well, you start everything again. Well, no, maybe not start everything te- again. Tear everything up. Five times champions in the last six years. Every trophy won just about. The problem is, Robbie, you've got some guys who have been there pretty much from the beginning. Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, Marco Verratti, Edinson Cavani. And my, my, they're all brilliant footballers, don't get me wrong. But I feel that there is something that they're, they're almost synonymous with disastrous failures now in Europe. In Europe. In Champions Europe. And the feeling is that, I, that my concern is they'll get to the quarterfinals again next year and then there'll be that, you know, that wobble because in their minds, they, you know, well, the quarterfinals would be better than the last three years. <laughs> I think there are new problems that have been bolted on as well. And I'm full of admiration for the careers of players like Dani Alves and Gigi Buffon. And two years ago, along with Gonzalo Higuain, 
it was those three that really did for Monaco's hopes in the semi-finals of the Champions League. They were both outstanding. But now they're two years older and on the basis of what they did against Manchester United, they're not going to be the players that Paris Saint-Germain need in order to get into the semi-finals or even win the competition. Let's move on. We've got three clubs to talk about. We're running out of time. I, I wanted to talk about Monaco. Um, we've got Cesc Fabregas uh, with us, of course, since uh, Cesc joined Monaco. It was very difficult at the beginning. They got battered 5-1 on his home debut by, by Strasbourg. Thierry Henry got sacked. And then they went on this excellent unbeaten run in the league that took them away from relegation. Fabregas, when I, when I met him, he was uh, very positive, really enjoying his time, very keen to explain um, why he joined Monaco. He's, he's aware of people um, perhaps looking at this move and thinking, oh, he's just moving towards retirement, having a nice cushy uh, life in, 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 in Monaco. But look, he, he insists he is determined to stay there for a considerable period. He's talking about at least trying to finish, maybe he talked about the top 10, even this, this season, if they can push on between now and the end of the season and competing for trophies at the start of, uh, well, for, for, from next season onwards. What didn't go well, though, Fabregas was injured this weekend and Monaco, they lost that unbeaten run under Leonardo Jardim. They lost at home against Caen, who were in the uh, in the bottom three, still are in the bottom three. Armel, it was uh, a significant setback for uh, for Monaco and they probably did miss Cesc Fabregas. It was a surprise too because Caen weren't just in the bottom three. They were rock bottom last weekend and they'd just been beaten 5-0 by Saint-Étienne. Somewhat of a crisis there. But back to Monaco, yes, they've been... Certainly enjoying better form since Jardim's return. I think that was their first home defeat this weekend since his return to Le Rocher. And uh, Fabregas has played his part in that, I think, in terms of his experience, perhaps more than in terms of his play so far. But uh, we know what Monaco are made up of. They're made up of youngsters and they always have to have a few experienced heads to to get the best out of those youngsters. And I think that's why Fabregas is there this season, even if it's a bit of a different season for Monaco this year, having brought in so many, should we say, slightly less inexperienced players in the January window to make sure they avoided relegation. Yeah, I think it was their first defeat in in the league, home and away. They'd only lost on penalties in the, uh, in the Coupe de la Ligue against Gangle. Dave, is it realistic um, for Fabregas to be saying we we can be back where he feels this club belongs, competing at the top of the table next season. I think it is if they retain the squad they have now and they add another three shrewd acquisitions in the summer. Hopefully, they'll be able to make Gelson Martins's move from Atletico Madrid permanent because the mobility that he's brought back into the team, along with the fit again Ronnie Lopez and Alexander Golovin has now started showing the form that made him a standout player at the World Cup in Russia last summer. And I'd be excited for them with those three and Fabregas playing balls to them. And will Falcao still be around next season? Will that now be the time for Falcao to start be thinking about accepting a big money offer from China, perhaps? I don't know. Or the but MLB. Wants exactly. To play. <laughs> exactly. If he wants to be the new Michael Jordan, allegedly. <laughs> uh, in switching sports. Hey, he's, got, he's got a passion for baseball. Yeah, apparently he wants and to even play Even Stefan Jovetic played a few minutes. Um, against mm, yeah. But, uh, but I think he was good. I think Falcao was really good as a youngster in, 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 in Colombia, where I think baseball is pretty much as big as football. Oh, he has said recently go. he'd like to play baseball. When yeah, he retires incredible. From football. He's, he came out and said he wants to play a professional baseball. Yeah, some of his shots this playing. season have looked like home runs. And it would be <laughs> Stad Louis Out Dirt. of the park. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, he's yeah, to be fair, he's still I think he's in double figures again. He's doing well, Radamel Falcao. Um I think Monaco are definitely a contender for Europe next season. Just on, on their form. I've just I've just looked on, on League1.com where you can put in a certain amount of time for you to get your league ladders. So from week twenty of the season to now, Monaco are sitting eighth in the league in the last eleven matches. So have they played eleven of those? They have played eleven. Reims are sitting fourth and in a, in the last 10 matches for them. The league table in the, since round 20 of the season is Paris, Lille, Lyon, Reims, Marseille, Angers are there as well. That's it's good. interesting if to you... see form. Monaco's form for a side that were down in the dumps are on the way back. And, but and of course they can play Europe next season. If we look at the real league table... Look at Lille last year. <laughs> Go man, sorry. But if we look at the real league table, Robbie, they're down in 16th. They're only seven points above the drop zone now. They should be okay. They should be okay. And Jardim has certainly steadied the ship and got them got them winning again. Uh, one other thing Fabregas was keen to sort of hammer home was the fact that he hadn't only come to Monaco for his mate Thierry Henry because there was a you know a bit of a feeling he was trying to help his uh, his good pal from his Arsenal days and from his Barcelona days out of a, a tricky situation. But uh, Fabregas insists he is totally focused on the Monaco project and he is actually really enjoying getting to know another top coach in uh, in Leonardo Jardim and he had some interesting things to say about the Portuguese. I didn't know him before. Um, I heard of him. Uh, I heard about him but and his teams. But, uh, you know, when you see things uh, firsthand, it's, it's always much, uh, much better. You know, you can analyze a situation uh, uh, <clears throat> in another way. And, you know, he, he has his ideas very, very clear. He knows what he wants to do. He knows what the, the, the team has to do. And, you know, I will not say it's simple, but, you know, what, what, what he makes us do in training is normally what happens during, during the game, you know. Uh, what I like about him is that uh, he's flexible. He's a flexible manager and he adapts. He always looks about what he what he wants to do, what his team wants to do, so us. But, you know, we, we analyze the, the opponents, uh, you know, if they have a weakness on the right, you know, we will try to exploit it. So he's a tactician, you know, a very, very good uh, man. And uh, in a way, I don't, I don't like to, to compare, but the, the, the methodology that he uses reminds me a little bit of uh, Mourinho. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed a lot, uh, as everyone knows, with, with Jose, and I am doing it as well with, with Jardim. Now, perhaps the game of the weekend took place at the Bourgeois, where Nantes were playing host to Lille. And uh, Lille under a little bit of pressure after Lyon had, uh, had won on Friday night. Lyon getting a, a 1 0 win away to Rennes, thanks to Martin Terrier's late goal. And then on Sunday, Lille found themselves two goals down, two quick-fire goals from Nantes early in the in the second half. What a reaction though from Le Dog. Armel, you were you were on top of this one. What yes. happened? What happened? Uh, did Lille come back and win? Lille came back and won. Yes, <laughs> three goals in seven minutes from that uh, trio that's proving impossible to handle. Rafael Leal, Nicolas Pepe, and Jonathan Bamba. Jonathan Bamba's winner in the 69th minute was worth mentioning as well because Nicolas Pepe had a foot race with Nicolas Palwa down the uh, Nantes left-hand side. That must have been close. Oh, it was only one winner <laughs> worth watching again. <laughs> and he then won the ball back off Nicolas Palwa, cut inside and did a step over 
with all defenders expecting him to cut back out to fire goalwards with his left foot. Three of them stepped out. He just crossed across the goal for Jonathan Bamba to tap in. So it was proof once again that Lille do have these quality players that can win games. They're not just young talents that are developing. They're there. They're, they're the real business already. And it was helped a little bit by a late Valentin Esserich penalty miss for Nantes, who had already scored one in the game, blazed one over. Was it in the a miss? It was over, minutes. was it? Because Mike, Mike Menon's got an incredible record at saving penalties. One yeah, in every his two. First ever action in Ligue 1 when he came off the bench was to save a penalty. Which may be, which may be influenced, or it certainly does, I would say, influence the penalty taker. I think. One in every two penalties Menos faced in Liga has been missed or saved. It is difficult taking two penalties in a game. Tom and Mongani managed mm. it successfully for Angers in the two-all draws. Yeah, the they came before. back from 2-0 down against Marseille on Saturday, but it's, it's tough. Um, I agree with Armel that the standout moment in the game was the, the Pepe assist for the, the bomber goal because everyone talks about the number of goals that Pepe scored. Those stats are inflated by penalties, as I say every week on this podcast. But what is more impressive is his composure and his pace and ability to control what he's doing at that extreme pace, as he showed for that goal there. And as a trio, they're very effective. Um, and are they I know Matt's mentioned it with Jonathan Iconi. I, I still don't include him. Um, I don't know, Matt mentioned how far Lille have come yeah. on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And since we last did a podcast, Christophe Galtier did a very revealing interview when he said publicly he was basically lying last season, saying that Lille were going to stay up and they'd be okay even if they went into the promotion relegation playoff. He said he used to go home, collapse and be in floods of tears because he just didn't believe that they were going to be in Ligue 1 this mm. season and just look how far but that's the strength. That's the strength as well of a character and a, a manager to be able to put on that pretense to convince his players that they can do it, isn't it? And and that's what he'll be doing now, trying to convince them that that second place is going to be theirs because there are some doubters, including Robert Thompson. Oh, that's who, right. That's... I think two weeks ago he said, yeah, and I know Leon are going to finish with a flourish. They're going to finish above Lille. But Lille still have that four-point cushion. They're in second and they are heading for automatic Champions League qualification. I'd just like to point out that when <laughs> Robert Thompson and left, so anyway, Armel, left the as office I was yesterday, he's, it was 2-0 to Nantes. And he said, see, I knew it. I knew Lille would drop off. <laughs> Superb moment. That, that's why, and I will also say something else I said in a pod last week, which was I don't bet on football matches or on outcomes. <laughs> because even when I think that's I've lucky. got a result at 2-0 with 15 minutes left, well, my, my team can uh, turn it around. Look, I did think, and I did say, Lille will struggle with Leon finishing over the top of them. I think despite the victory, and maybe if they can turn this character into a, you know, a fantastic confidence-building performance, three goals in seven minutes... Maybe they can, but it's also a sign of, you know, there was the late penalty for Nantes. They were down by two goals to nil. They won't be able to come back every week. I think there are a few cracks in Lille's facade. Yeah, you stick to your guns, right? I think more importantly for them... That, that, <laughs> Die on, on my sword. That we're speaking now ahead of Saint-Étienne's game on the Monday night, but uh, with Marseille dropping points on Saturday, Lille are now 12 points clear of Marseille. So uh, the battle for second will go to the last game of the season, I think, but they have an even better chance of finishing in the top three now. Now, we're going to look ahead to next weekend because there are plenty of, uh, of big matches. And this is our travel segment where we, uh, we, we, we all love to travel. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've seen you guys at the, uh, at the train stations getting your espressos and your keeps getting ready to get on the TGV and to do your, to do your research before the next Ligue 1 fixture. Who wants to start? Um, we'll have a look at next weekend's fixtures. 
and I'd like you to tell me why and where you would like to go. Armel? I can get us going, yep. I would suggest on Friday evening going to Bordeaux for Bordeaux against Marseille, the battle of the uh, American owners at the uh, Matmut Atlantic. And if you like drinks coming quickly to your seat, Joe de Grosser, the Bordeaux owner, as soon as he took over the club, said the the queues to to yeah. the buvette were far too long. So hopefully he's had the time to sort that out. That would already. be great if it if it actually was the battle of the American owners and they had like a wrestling thing in the in the middle and Frank McCourt and Joe de Grosser got Who got down back? to it before before the big game. That's pretty and much it. De Grosser's De Grosser's the younger man and probably the yeah. bigger man. But his name would suggest I wouldn't uh, mess with Frank McCourt. Literal translation would suggest. Uh, and by the way, Marseille haven't uh, haven't won at Bordeaux. This is this just is incredible, an unbelievable statistic. record. Incredible. Because these clubs, you know, they've been fighting for trophies for the last 30, 40 years. Marseille haven't won at Bordeaux since nineteen seventy seven. Unbelievable. Incredible. And of course, they would they they will need to go and do it. Bordeaux finding their feet under new coach Paolo Sosa. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting one, and of course, a wonderful place to go and spend a Friday evening, David. Crossan, what's your uh, fancy this weekend? Short train journey on a late Sunday morning for me to go to Rans against Lille to see if Lille can get the result there. That means that Paris Saint-Germain can't wrap up the title on Sunday. I'd like to see it go a little bit further, even if we can't talk about a title race. And Rans is, is a beautiful place. Um, you can perhaps have a glass of champagne. Don't the champagne's good. They've got a Raymond Copper statue now. And some very good restaurants in Rance as well. And you can just walk over from the, the train station to the stadium. Take about half an hour. The cathedral as well. That must the be the only football statue in France, is it? Or are there know. others There might now. be one or two more. But yeah, they, it's not something it's the not French something really do. They, do. Yeah. They, they like to name stadiums after, after yes. legends. Yeah. And, uh, or, we've got or, the stad- well, apparently legends. There are some fantastic stadium names of people we, well, we they've got Stade really Raymond Copper in, in Angers yeah, which is also Gaston Girard yeah. <laughs> Arsene Wenger has a, has, has a little stadium <laughs> I'm, I'm still planning to visit the Arsene Wenger stadium just outside Strasbourg Robbie take, us, take us somewhere nice come on I'm going to go to Nîmes for Nîmes-Caen ah, you want um, the just sunshine. because I think since perhaps Nice since they moved from the Stade de Ray the fact that Bastia aren't there anymore Nîmes are one of these old school stadiums where, you know, you can still hear all the abuse coming from behind the goal. The fans, they're, they're the type of fans, nobody likes us, we don't care. Uh, I think it's got everything for a big match. And, and look, Nîmes, they've had a fantastic season. They're nearly across the line for, for staying up. It's, it's fantastic. Caen will be giving it everything, obviously, and uh, trying to stay up. But look, I'm going for the atmosphere. And you can be guaranteed attacking football when you see Nîmes Olympique play. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to go to the Parc des Princes just because it's local and uh, to win the uh, league, Matt. <laughs> and exactly, they might be, be celebrating. Too. And you know, I'm really keen to see Marco Verratti out there dancing again with some with some champagne. Should be fun. Not with Ibrahim Soko around, he won't. <laughs> you never know. Strasbourg are going to be on a high. That concludes uh, Le Bourgeois podcast. Just before we go, I'm going to get a ticking off from. Uh, our producer, Ian Holyman, because I haven't given you the email address. That or mention Sunderland's penalty defeat in the Czech Trade Trophy oh, it's on been Sunday. A, it's been a sorry weekend for Mr. <laughs> Holyman and, uh, and the Sunderland faithful. But um, the email address that you can uh, contact us on, and please do send us any questions you've got about, about Ligue 1. If possible, it's good if it's Ligue 1 related. The, uh, the email address is ligueunpodcast at gmail.com. Ligue, spelt the French way, L-I-G-U-E, one, the number, podcast at gmail.com or you can uh, hashtag us 
hashtag League One podcast on our uh, official league account, which is uh, at League One underscore ENG. From David Crossan, Robbie Thompson, Armel Tangier, me, Matt Spiro. It's time to say au revoir, et à bientôt. We'll see you again for another Le Bourgeois podcast next week. Bye bye, everyone. Oh, Ciao. Bye. Oh, what a strike! Surely won it in the 89th minute. My head. Oh!